Bobby Wagner is now in Los Angeles, leaving a gaping hole at Mike Linebacker for the Seahawks heading into the 2022 season. Could they use one of their early draft picks to find Wagner's successor? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking down a number of linebacker prospects on today's Mock Draft Monday episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for Mock Draft Monday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week and hope all of our listeners had a fantastic weekend. Before we get to the show, make sure to check out our Twitter account, Locked underscore Seahawks. We have a contest going on through Friday. You can enter for your chance to win a Quandre Diggs number six Nike game jersey. That contest could be running throughout the week. Pretty simple. Just retweet the tweet. Make sure you're following the account and comment with who you think the Seahawks are going to pick with their first selection in the 2022 NFL draft. It's really simple. We've got a jam-packed mock draft Monday coming your way. We're going to be checking out some of the latest mock drafts on the internet and taking a closer look at some of the linebacker prospects in the 2022 NFL Draft that may interest the Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks will have, courtesy of the Russell Wilson trade, a top 10 selection for the first time since 2010 when John Schneider and Pete Carroll first arrived on the scene as general manager and head coach. So it's been more than a decade, Rob, since the Seahawks have picked this early. And obviously we've had a chance already up to this point to start looking at that first pick and what the Seahawks may or may not do. But we know John Schneider, he loves to trade down as much as any general manager in the game. And he's been very good at it over the years. And this is a draft that's got a lot of depth and a number of positions of need for the Seahawks. So why do I really want to spend this first quarter looking at which players have to be on the board for Trader John to say, you know what, I'm not going to trade down. I'm going to resist the temptation. There's a blue chip player here that we haven't had a chance to get over the past 10, 11 years that I'm going to take advantage of being available and draft that guy who would be on that short list for you as far as your big board for pick number nine. Well, Corbin, it's a great question. Um, I, I think that if we see multiple uh, examples of these players who were available, then I think that that is exactly what, what John Schneider is looking for. It is, of course, you want to be able to trade down. You want to be able to accrue more draft picks to still get the guy that you think that should have been selected at number nine overall. Interestingly enough, for me, there are exactly nine players who I think would make an awful lot of sense for the Seahawks to select a number nine. And obviously that means that that one of the at least one of those players is going to be available for them. 
I, I would start off with the four pass rushers. Uh, if there's any way that Aiden Hutchinson, a Kayvon Thibodeau, a Trayvon Walker from Georgia, or a Jermaine Johnson, the second from Florida State, is available, to me, that would be the, the top consideration because of just of the immediate impact that I believe any one of those four top pass rushers might be able to provide the Seahawks. I also believe that the top two offensive tackles, Evan Neal from Alabama, Akeem Aquanu from North Carolina State, if either one of them are available. I think it's a slam dunk that that's where you're going at that point. That is historically what Seattle has done during the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era. I am going to throw out the wild cards, however, with two cornerbacks, and those being the two cornerbacks everybody's talked about, Sauce Gardner, just love his length, uh, his, his physicality, his uh, agility in, in Seattle's scheme. I think that he is just a special player that you have to consider. I'm a big, big fan of Derek Stingley as well. I believe the Seahawks will have a little bit more insight on him than most teams in all of the NFL because, of course, we talked about before, Pete Carroll and his relationship with the former LSU head coach, Ed Orgeron. And, and so I do believe that Derek Stingley is going to be somebody that Seattle might consider that maybe other teams would not. You asked me who I would consider. I absolutely think that Stingley is a top nine prospect in this year's draft. And then finally, if we want to get a little bit crazy, of all the quarterbacks, Malik Willis's upside is so extreme that I would consider him as well. But again, if you have multiple players of the nine I just listed, Corbin, who are on the board for Seattle at number nine overall, then I'm absolutely considering a slight trade back to still be able to try and get one of those nine prospects. Yeah, I think that our lists match up pretty similarly here, although I am going to throw one other name on there. And this should not be a shocker to those that listen to our podcast because I've mentioned a few times that I think Devin Lloyd is head and shoulders the best linebacker in this draft class. And to me, he's not just an off-ball linebacker. And we'll have a chance to talk about him more later in the show. One of my favorite prospects in the entire draft. You've got that big Holt middle linebacker for the Seahawks. That's got to be tempting if you're John Schneider because Devin Lloyd can rush the passer. He's so darn good in coverage. He's got over 40 tackles for loss the last three years at Utah. He can do it all. So if you have a player like that available to you at number nine, of course, you would like to be able to trade down and be able to pick a player like that. But that would be another guy that would be on my short list that if he's there at nine and you can't get one of those top corners, the top tackles aren't available, your pass rushers have been picked down, if you end up in that situation and you can't trade down, that's the other thing. Maybe the interest to move up won't be there. Devin Lloyd would be a good fallback option that I think would be good value. And I have one other name I'm going to throw on there too. And this might shock some of our listeners too. But Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. You missed Creed Humphrey last year. I think Linderbaum is a better prospect coming into the NFL out of Iowa. You can get him at pick number nine potentially. You've got a franchise center, and I don't think signing Austin Blythe is going to deter you from picking that player if you truly want to upgrade your offensive line. 
I 100% agree with you. Uh, I think that Tyler Linderbaum is a special prospect. Uh, I think that center has been such a huge area of concern for the Seahawks for so darn long that, that it would make an awful lot of sense as well. Number nine for any interior offensive lineman to me is a touch rich, but at the same time, I would agree with you. I think that he is head and shoulders uh, above the rest of the centers in this draft class. And as we've talked about, I mean, that stopping Aaron Donald is priority number one it has been now for you know the better part of the last decade i mean seattle obviously has failed to do so i I think that this is a fascinating conversation for us to be having at this point too corbin because we we are seeing so many teams who have been so aggressive and i mentioned the one quarterback in malik willis i I think that that's what's going to be fascinating here is to see what former seahawk uh executive scott fitterer is going to do with the carolina panthers at number six overall the atlanta falcons at number eight overall the new orleans saints of course now have two first round selections as well you know you look at the nfc south where it's tom brady the tampa bay buccaneers and virtually everybody else i think that you could see a little bit of a race uh, an arms race to be a little bit more specific in the nfc south And I would not be surprised at all to see all three of the teams not mentioned, not not named the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, go for a quarterback in this draft class. And and so if the Carolina Panthers select a quarterback at six, if the Atlanta Falcons select a quarterback at number eight, and then Seattle is on the clock, and maybe there's a quarterback like a Matt Corral, a Desmond Ritter, or Sam Howell, or whoever that the New Orleans Saints are in love with, hey, then the Seahawks might be able to trade down at that point. So to me, that is really one of the fascinating conversations here is that obviously Seattle sitting there at number nine overall. The odds are that Seattle is going to go with the two positions that they have prioritized throughout the schneider Kara era in the past, either edge rusher or offensive tackle. That's been the vast majority of their selections in the first round or their first selections, I guess I should say, have been at those two positions. That's where the smart money would be for Seattle to go here again. But if some team is going to trade John Schneider a couple of first-round picks to be able to move down six, eight, ten spots in this draft class, potentially set themselves up beautifully for, for next year's class where it's an even better quarterback group, uh, then I think that's something that Seattle has to consider as well. I think my big takeaway from this discussion is that there are a lot of players that would be worthwhile to pick in the top 10, and a lot of them check off major areas of needs for the Seahawks. So John Schneider is truly going to have the ball in his court to make a number of different decisions, depending how that board unfolds in front of him. If the right guy's there, then don't trade down. Go get that blue chip player. But if you've got two or three players you really like that are still on the board and you have a team like the Saints that wants a quarterback and they'll trade up, as you just mentioned, if you can get 16 and 19 in the first round with the talent and depth at a number of these positions, then John Schneider's going to have a really hard time resisting that. And I don't blame him because you can get two blue chip players in the top 20 to fill needs and you get to protect your two second rounders that maybe you could use on a quarterback. We don't know how this quarterback situation is going to play out. Nobody has a clue. You could see three or four go real quick, or you might have one first-round quarterback and a bunch of them going early in the second round. Anything can happen, especially when you're looking at a class like this that hasn't necessarily been a heralded one for draft experts. Speaking of the draft, we're going to be taking a look at some of the latest mock drafts on the internet here in a moment. This episode is brought your way by betonline.net. 
BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and wagering informational needs, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Mock Draft Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a very special announcement here starting on Thursday, April 28th. Tune in to Locked On NFL Draft's live coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft. They've got three days of real-time analysis from our extensive lineup of experts and insiders. And for those of you dying to know, who your team will take, catch Odyssey and Locked On's NFL Mock Draft Special hosted by Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson of the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show all week leading up to the first pick. So again, we've got the Locked On NFL Draft live show April 28th, April 29th, and April 30th. We've also got the shows coming up on the Peacock and Williamson show for the entire week leading up to the NFL draft. So make sure that you are checking out all that awesome programming to get ready for this year's draft. All right, mock draft Monday. We do this periodically. We've been mixing things up a little bit, looking at fan submitted mock drafts, checking out some of our own mock drafts. We're going to go back to checking out some of the mock drafts from the experts because there were some interesting ones that were published this weekend, Rob. And I think we got to start with maybe the most outrageous one here. Chad Ryder of NFL.com with a bold move for the Seahawks trading up from number nine overall to number four with the New York Jets. And I know some of our listeners are going to be like, not the Jets again, not the Jets with our history trading for Jamal Adams, but trade up to number four to select a quarterback. And many of you might be thinking, oh, this has to be for Malik Willis. But in this case, it's for Matt Corral. This was as bold of a trade up for a quarterback as I've seen hypothesized in any mock draft this season for the Seahawks. Yeah, and that's not to say that it can't happen. I think that the Seahawks are very much intrigued by Matt Corral. I mean, they sent multiple people there to the Ole Miss workout to to watch him, um, including their their quarterback coach, Dave Canales. So I think that that is a, a possibility. Um, I think that we are likely to see Matt Corral be the, the third or fourth quarterback off the board. And I think that that sounds like it's a, a bit of a slight, and I don't know that that's actually true. I think that when you look at Matt Corral and and his uh, his quick release, his accuracy on on slants, his um, you know his mobility, his agility, his toughness, his uh, leadership abilities that he has demonstrated, the fact that he had the confidence in himself as a young man coming out of the state of California, where he played his prep ball, and then transferred or excuse me signed with Ole Miss in the SEC the mighty SEC and was very successful there I think that all of those things are going to appeal to Seattle so I do think that there is a possibility that Matt Corral is very much in Seattle's uh you know thoughts at this point I have a hard time imagining a scenario in which Seattle is going to be willing to trade up for a quarterback in this draft class but if they are set on taking a quarterback and we see 
quarterbacks go early, and that absolutely could happen. Remember, we have the Detroit Lions sitting there at number two overall. They got Jared Goff, Oma, off a lot of money, didn't play very well a year ago. They could take a quarterback. Houston, Texas is number three overall. They could take a quarterback. It might happen where you see quarterbacks come off the board, number two, number three, perhaps number four overall in a row. And we do know that John Schneider is going to be aggressive. And so I think that this is a possibility of this happening. And I do like some of the selections that Chad, former co-worker of mine all those years, has Seattle going with a little bit later. Quay Walker, the outside linebacker from the University of Georgia, absolutely phenomenal talent. Tyler Smith, the office tackle from Tulsa. We talked about him a lot. Amari Barno, the edge rusher from Virginia Tech with Seattle's third round selection. You are checking off an awful lot of boxes with this mock draft. I just don't know that this is exactly what Seahawks fans are looking for in the 2022 draft, however. Yeah, and the cost to move up into the top five, you're going to have to give up one of those second-round picks plus additional capital to be able to move up five spots. You know the Jets are not going to just give away that pick to slide back to number nine, especially with their history with John Schneider and the Seahawks. And so while it's possible they could move up a few spots if there's really a quarterback they love, it it seems to me like that is a real long shot that they're going to make a move like that. But I do like the other selections in that mock draft, particularly Barno, a guy that I know is a little bit light, lower body is really lean. But you want to talk about an incredible athlete that I think would be a great fit as one of those three, four hybrid linebackers for the Seahawks. If they can get him a pick 72, I think that is a home run. That's probably my favorite pick value-wise on Chad's latest mock draft at NFL.com. Looking at our next one here, Bucky Brooks, NFL.com just did a one-round mock draft, but I had to highlight this one because we just talked about it in the first segment. Devin Lloyd out of Utah, the selection at number nine. There will be fans that throw a hissy fit about this because, you know, we drafted Jordan Brooks two years ago. He got all pro votes this year. We don't need a linebacker. Bobby Wagner's been an all pro selection the last eight years. You have a gaping hole there at middle linebacker. And maybe Cody Barton is the guy. Maybe the Seahawks believe in him in that capacity. And I liked what I saw those last two games. But he is not Devin Lloyd. And the fact that they both played at Utah needs to just be dismissed here. But Devin Lloyd just has, you know, he's a little bit bigger guy. He can do a lot more off the edge, for example. He can play all the linebacker spots. He's adept in coverage. So, again, first quarter, I mentioned this. This would not be a player that I would be, if I'm a Seahawks fan, upset about at all. Because I think he's a dynamic playmaker. Oh, I agree with you there. I do think that that Devin Lloyd is an absolutely spectacular football player. I think that we're talking about the best player available conversation, which is something yeah. that John Schneider has always prioritized. Then, then Devin Lloyd is going to be in that conversation. I personally think that the linebacker depth this year in the second and third round might be enough that Seattle can wait. Um, you, you mentioned Cody Barton, Ben Burkerv, and guys like that. Seattle has some young, still interesting talent already already on their roster but at the same time i think that you know we know that that john schneider and pete carroll are going to do the unexpected bucky brooks is a former as a scout with the seahawks and you know uh another guy that i've worked with for a long time nfl.com as well as foxsports.com bucky brooks is as clued in as just about anybody so i do think that this is a a possibility for seahawks fans to be considering at this point Looking at our last one here real quick, this coming from Ryan Wilson of CBS. We've seen Malik Willis. That has probably been the most popular 
selection for the Seahawks at number nine ever since Russell Wilson got traded. And we've talked about it, the highest ceiling of any of the quarterbacks. He's got a lot of boomer bust potential coming from Liberty, a very raw prospect, but he's got an incredible arm. He is a top-tier athlete for the position. I mean, all the physical tools are there, and he's got some leadership intangibles as well. So him being there at number nine, if the Seahawks are really sold in him and they love him, and I've been told that he is certainly a player that they have have done their research on. So if they think that can be our next franchise quarterback, they could easily take him at nine if he's there. I'm skeptical he's going to be available to Seattle there at this point based on the latest reports. Teams like Carolina are enamored by him. I'd be surprised if he gets to number nine. But looking at the rest of the draft, and I'm going to butcher this name. I've, I've been trying, Rob. I love the player. I just, for whatever reason, I cannot pronounce his name. But Daniel Falele of Minnesota, 6'8", almost 400-pound tackle. But he is graceful for a man of that size. This guy is not like some big plotting tackle. He has athleticism. He's got a former rugby background, too. And you're seeing guys like that that are making their way into the NFL more frequently. I would love to see him at right tackle. And not that I don't think Jay Curhan didn't do well last year, but this kid is on a different level and has a lot of untapped potential. Picking him at number 40, 41, Arnold Ebicady of Penn State, really athletic pass rusher that came into his own for the Nittany Lions last year. Feels like he's still a fairly raw prospect. And Martin Emerson in the third round, the long, lengthy physical corner out of Mississippi State, really fits the old mold that we've seen the Seahawks take. That looks like a very Seahawk-like draft, including at number nine, going to the quarterback that's got the highest ceiling of any player in that position group. Yeah, I, and I think that Ryan Wilson, CBS, again, I'm just, we're, we're kind of going through a murderer's row of, of guys that I, I have worked with in the past. Ryan is is very good as well. However, I would argue that this is a, a Seahawks draft here that he's projecting that I think fits in a lot better with what the Seahawks have done historically, not necessarily what I think that the Seahawks are looking to do now. And, and just starting off with, with Malik Willis, you talked about it, Corbin. I mean, we, we've talked about Malik Willis a lot. Um, to me, the, the simplified way of describing him is that he does have the leadership intangibles that you're looking for, but physically, you're talking about Michael Vick. I mean, that's, that's an exceptional talent you're talking about here. So I, I do think that it, it would be justified if Seattle were to take him at number nine. Even if you have to sit him for a year, you are talking about an unbelievable combination of athletic ability and arm strength. Somebody you have to consider. But let, let's talk about Falalele for a moment, as well as Epichetti and Martin Emerson. With, with Falalele, you, you mentioned his size, and that's the thing that really stands out to you. I'll mention something else that stands out to me and why I think that he might be in play for Seattle is the fact that he did play his ball at, at Minnesota. I mean, it's Minnesota. And, and so there's not going to be quite the, uh, you know, the, the hard market that, that you might see elsewhere. This is not a kid who, um, you know, ha has played in the, the big cities and things like that. I think that's going to intrigue a team like Seattle that, that doesn't have the, the huge media market. They don't necessarily want a guy who's media savvy. They want a guy who's hungry on the football field. And Fa'alele offers that. He is not as fleet of foot as, as many of the other offensive tackles in this draft class. But, you know, and that, that'll be my argument again is I think that he fits in a little bit better with what Seattle had looked to do previously. This is a guy who just uses his mass and his power to be able to just, you know, 
destroy people at the line of scrimmage. But as far as getting to the second level, as far as being able to handle, um, you know, interior pass rush moves or the, the counter moves and things like that, that's one of the things that he struggled with. And I just look at the pass rushers that Seattle is going to be facing in the FC West. I just have some reservations about him and his fit with Andy Dickerson's scheme. Ebikidi, on the other hand, the pass rusher, we've talked about him a lot, Corbin, out of Penn State. Just his quick twitch, the fact that he's been very successful in two different programs. Um, to me, that's one of the things that's intriguing about him. And then Martin Emerson, while he does not have the the change of direction that I think the Seattle is looking for in terms of a pure man-to-man corner, and he does not have a great deal of interceptions and pass breakups. Talk about size and physicality. If we want to go back to what the Seahawks have prioritized in the past, Ryan Wilson's draft here checks a lot of boxes. I just wonder if it doesn't check 2019, 2020, maybe even 2021 Seahawks boxes. I'm not so sure that it checks what they're looking for in 2022, however. Yeah, this seems like a very 2012 to around 2018 Seahawks draft class. And maybe they'll revert back to picking some of those style players this year with them going into this reload. Uh, but I'd be surprised, especially when playing more man coverage. Emerson, to me, would not be one of the corners that really jumps out as somebody they would want to pick, especially this early in the draft. But otherwise, I mean, this is a pretty fascinating draft class that Ryan Wilson put together. We've talked a lot about linebackers already, but we're truly going to dig our cleats into the turf here in a moment, looking at a very deep linebacker class, a ton of talent that should be available in the first three rounds of this year's draft. So we're going to be breaking down a number of those prospects here in a moment. If you're like me and you've been trying to stick with your New Year's resolution and you've been struggling through it, you need to try Built Bar. It's been able to get me through. It's about mid-April now, and I'm still rolling, getting all my workouts in, eating as well as I can. Built Bar is certainly helping. 100% chocolate. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs, they are fantastic. It's basically a protein-infused marshmallow, marshmallow on steroids, and they're delicious. Amazing flavors like banana cream pie. I'll eat two or three of them in one sitting, no problem. There's tons of delicious regular Built Bar flavors as well. Peanut butter brownies, salted caramel, orange cream. They're coming out with new flavors every single month. So visit Built.com and check out what they're cooking up this month. Under 200 calories, less than five net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Built Bar is everything you're looking for to stay healthy this season. So make sure to go to their website, built.com, enter in the code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's built.com, enter in the code LOCKED15 for 15% off. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Mock Draft Monday edition. I'm Corbin Smith. Joining me as always. Rob Rang, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Continuing our pre-draft coverage, we've looked at a number of positions up to this point. We've spent a lot of time on the offensive line. We've looked at quarterbacks. We're going back to defense today, and we've already had a chance to break down some of the top linebackers in this class, but I don't think that it is an exaggeration to say that this is one of the deeper linebacker groups, at least in terms of off-ball linebackers that we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years, Rob, at least the top half, first three rounds, I think you and I can probably name off 12 or 13 linebackers that have a chance to be picked in the first 90 or so selections. There's a ton of depth, a lot of versatility, and a lot of athleticism in this linebacker group. 
Oh my goodness, there certainly is. I, I think that um, you know we, we've heard so much about the edge rusher class, the wide receiver class, the cornerback class, uh, the running back class. Not enough conversation has been had about the off-ball linebacker class as being one of the true strengths of of the class of 2022 and for those of us who are watching on youtube right now you can see the five different linebackers that we have listed here i think that devin lloyd from utah nicobe dean from georgia the buckus award winner christian harris from alabama quay walker from georgia chad muma from wyoming i think all five of those guys corbin are going to wind up being selected in the first to second round and i think you could mention another four or five they're going to wind up being selected within another round of them Channing Tyndall from Georgia, uh, you know, being one of the guys that I personally am pretty high on and have kind of uh, projected him to Seattle in, in the past. Uh, you know, the, the kid from Montana State, Troy Anderson, would, would be another one. Leo Chanel from Wisconsin would be another one. That That's the point is that there are so many of them that I do think that this is going to be a position that Seattle, I'd be stunned, frankly, if Seattle did not invest one of their first four selections in one of these linebackers. Now, again, that, that's including number nine overall in the first round, at least as it stands right now, 40-41 in the second round, and then their third round selection. I would expect Seattle to take advantage of this linebacker class. We talked earlier about Devin Lloyd. Again, I, in my opinion, he is the best linebacker in this class. Even the fact that N'Kobe Dean, who I'll kind of focus in on here, was the Buckus Award winner. I mean, what you like about N'Kobe Dean is just the sideline to sideline speed, is the leadership ability that he possesses. There's an awful lot of people out there who, who believe that his guy is going to come into the NFL and be an absolute superstar. Now, I personally like him best in a 4-3 because he's a smaller guy. He, he's six yep. foot, 225 pounds. And if you're going to run a true 3-4, He's going to have to take on blocks every now and then. He's not going to have a, a Jordan Davis potentially in front of him the way that he had at, at Georgia. He may have an Al Woods instead. And, and that's the thing is that you can get your, you can talk yourself into thinking that there's no way N'Kobe Dean can play in Seattle's scheme. But just put on the tape. The kid is an absolute football player, and Seattle has the horses up front to be able to protect him a little bit. And you consider the speed that they have in this division, maybe N'Kobe Dean might be somebody that Seattle will consider. Not necessarily number nine overall, but in a trade down or certainly with one of those top two selections in the second round if he were to slip that far. Yeah, I look from a scheme fit standpoint. I think N'Kobe Dean could work in a 3-4, but I'm not drafting him at number nine. And in fact, if I'm trading down, I'm going to be hesitant to draft him. If he's available at 40 somehow, if teams get spooked because of his size and he's available there in the early part of the second round and you didn't take a linebacker, then that's a steal. But to me, his value is probably late first, early second in a 3-4 just because of that lack of size. Whereas Devin Lloyd at almost 240 pounds, has long arms, plays a mean physical football, and he's also, in my opinion, the best cover linebacker of these elite guys. He had three touchdowns that he returned on interceptions over the last two years at Utah. The guy can just do it all. And some of our listeners are like, "You got? he's clearly your man crush. Yes, he is my man crush. I've, I have watched a ton of Utah film, and I just, you know, there are a lot of good linebackers in this group, but to me, He's up here, and then everybody else is, you know, and Kobe Dean is fairly close. He's a very good player. But Lloyd, to me, is the class of this linebacker group. He is the one guy that I could justify a top 10 pick. He's got that kind of playmaking ability, can rush off the edge some. You're not going to be seeing Kobe Dean do that. 
So he just does some stuff that really adds to his toolbox, his versatility, the flexibility that you have on defense. And that brings me to a couple of these other guys that we have on our list here, Rob. I think Quay Walker is another one that is intriguing in that sense because he's a little bit bigger body linebacker than his teammate, N'Kobe Dean, is. Now, the flip side here, it took a long time for Quay Walker to get on the field, and a lot of that has to do with George is just stacked. And every year they've got two or three linebackers that get picked early, it feels like. So it took him forever to get on the field. Last year was the only year he was a starter. He put up really good numbers. You can look at that from two different ways. You can be like, man, that's a lot, you know, not a lot of experience. I'm concerned about using a high pick. But at the same time, you could say he hasn't played much. He's got a lot of untapped ability. And look what he already did last year. And so I think that he is somebody that is worth picking in that 40-41 range with one of those two second-round picks available. And I think he's going to give you some potential versatility to maybe play as an outside linebacker too because he's got a little more size and a little more length than, say, N'Kobe Dean. Oh, he certainly does. Uh, and I would actually compare him very similarly to the other linebacker on that list right above him in Christian Harris from Alabama. Talk about guys who are just unbelievable athletes, um, you know, and obviously their production speaks uh, for itself against the SEC competition. Um, at, at the same time, I don't think that either one of them are as instinctive as a Chad Muma from Wyoming, who we have as the fifth linebacker yeah. on this list. And, you know, I mean, again, we, we've talked about this before. Seattle has not prioritized, quote unquote, small school prospects in the past. But when they go to the Senior Bowl and they play as well as Muma did, um, I, I kind of referred to Brian Anderson previously from uh, Montana State before, um, you know, when you see guys who are as productive as these players are, when they get their opportunities uh, in the senior bowl, and then they go to workouts, the combine, the pro days, and they are absolutely spectacular numbers as well. Then again, that that's one of the most intriguing things. But again, here with Christian Harris and Quay Walker, we are talking about two guys, Corbin, who have first round traits, but the second round to third round kind of instincts at this point. So if you just get Quay Walker a little bit more time on the field, as you mentioned, it did take him some time to get on to the football field at Georgia. But at the same time, the, the talent level with the Bulldogs this past season, I wrote an article for Fox before that I think that all 12 starters for the Georgia Bulldogs are going to wind up getting drafted in the NFL. Corbin, that just doesn't happen. That's I mean, insane. even... Yeah, I mean, even even the, the the great defenses you see with Nick Saban, even with Pete Carroll back in the day at, at USC, and he had some unbelievably gifted defenses. You don't see every player on the the starting unit get drafted into the NFL. That just does not happen. But that's why I think George is going to do. In fact, I'll say it this way: I would be surprised. Uh, I I fully expect Seattle to take a Georgia player in this year's draft, and I would not be surprised at all. In fact, I almost expected that that player from the Georgia Bulldogs is going to happen to be a linebacker. I love, love Georgia's linebackers and how they fit with Seattle's scheme. Yeah, I'm going to say it right now. Channing Tindall is my favorite of the three, to be honest with you, it, for Seattle's scheme. What he does in coverage, how natural he is, and you got to see it at the Senior Bowl. You were there. I got to see some of the clips that were being posted. And he was just a guy that immediately jumped out to me how he was able to make up so much ground so quickly in coverage. You just don't see very many guys that come into the league that have that kind of ability. And yet he's, he's probably going to be the third Georgia linebacker that's off the board. <laughs> that's just the kind of talent. I mean, really the only comparable I can think of 
was those Miami Hurricane teams in the early 2000s that were yeah. loaded with defensive players that got drafted. But I don't know that they had their entire defense get picked, like what you're mentioning with Georgia. I want to real quick mention, you talk about Troy Anderson. He would be the other player on day two. I don't know that I would pick him with one of those second rounders because I do have some reservations about the lack of experience. But that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about him. He played quarterback and running back and was not just a player. He was a all-conference player, a, a league player of the year playing on offense. Not known for his passing prowess, but a, he ran over dudes. He was a fun running back, a running quarterback to watch and was prolific running the football for an offense that was one of the better ones in the FCS level. And he has moved that athleticism to defense. And he showed at the Senior Bowl that he's more instinctive than I think a lot of people realize. He's made up a lot of ground already. You get him proper coaching with the athletic traits. We're talking 4-4 speed, 232 pounds. He'll come up and thump you. Really high football IQ from playing a bunch of different spots. Yeah, third round at number 72. If you haven't taken your linebacker, absolutely would be one of the top players on my big board, and I would strongly consider picking him there. Yeah, I think that you have to. And again, that's one of the reasons why I think that it is a good, solid bet that Seattle will invest, uh, you know, one of those second day selections um, in one of these linebackers. And perhaps it's a number nine overall. I mean, Devin Lloyd is, I think has to be a consideration here, but I, I do expect Seattle to invest in a relatively early selection in one of these linebackers. Obviously there is, is a position of concern with Bobby Wagner no longer being part of the team, but it's not just that. It's not that you're just trying to plug in that hole. It's that these guys are legitimately worthy of that selection. Yep. And you can, again, you consider the NFC West in the way the San Francisco 49ers like to to run the football the way the Los Angeles Rams and Arizona Cardinals have the, the different weapons that they have and like the, the way they like to pass the ball over the intermediate areas. You have to have a linebacker who has that kind of coverage skills. Yep. Yes, you have a star in Jordan Brooks. You need two of them in a 3-4, however, and this draft class is set up to give you exactly that. And I think that's why the emphasis on having a guy that can maybe play outside a little bit too is intriguing. And there are a number of these linebackers we just talked about that you may be able to do that. They can play off ball and they can also play off the edge. Cody Barton struggled in that capacity. But there are some linebackers in this group that you absolutely can do that with. One other one real quick, not going to dive too much into them, but this is how deep this class is. Brandon Smith from Penn State is another one that I think could check off that box that is athletic enough to play as an off ball linebacker, but he also has experience playing strong side linebacker and rushing some after the quarterback. He's another one that I think will be gone in the first three rounds. So we just rattled off all these names. Yes, there is a lot of depth. You've got a lot of elite talent that could potentially get two or three guys that could be first rounders. And you got a bunch of them that are going to be second and third rounders. So Seattle has no excuse. They should be able to get a quality off-ball linebacker to team up with Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton in this draft if they wish to do so. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked on NFL Draft podcast hosted by Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker. They're bringing the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, five days a week streaming 
for video on YouTube. Coming up on our Tuesday show, we're going to continue our blast of the past looking at quarterback transitions. We're going to look at 2000 when Matt Hasselbeck first arrived to join forces once again with Mike Holmgren in the Pacific Northwest. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.